This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Kurt Gray relishes his role as VP at McGraw-Hill Education. In this episode, Ledge talks to Kirk about his fascinating perspective on technology and education. An EdTech veteran of 18 years, Gray has worked for a variety of startups before moving into engineering leadership. Having experienced the dawn of EdTech, Gray goes into detail about the early years and how the industry has evolved. We hear how the rise of empathy-based technology promotes teachers getting the best out of their students, working with educators instead of against them, And Kirk also talks through some of the difficulties of working in ed tech, specifically the ethical barriers surrounding data collection. Kirk, great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. So would you just give a two or three minute background of of you and and your work so the listeners can get to know you a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So uh, uh, Kirk Gray, uh, I live uh, right outside of Denver, currently a VP of engineering at McGraw-Hill Education. Um, I've been at the software thing for going on 18 years now. Uh, I've managed to, to mostly stay in EdTech uh, throughout my whole career uh, with you know stops at various startups and consulting shops along the way. I uh, really started doing you know good old Java enterprise development uh, back when that was the big thing and uh, moved into more distributed systems, sort of architecture things uh, along the way. And I think at some point, um, you know, realized that I could really make more of an impact. Uh, as an engineer, you get that, oh, I wish we could affect this, and why can't I change this, and why can't I have the the ideas instead of just implementing? And so one day I said, all right, well, I got to make that leap then to management. And so, uh, you know, six or seven years ago, I started uh, doing the leadership thing, and, and I have discovered that I really love it. And uh, I think, you know, I try to stay close to the technology, but uh, it feels really great to, to be able to, to make a team um, really excel and, and to, to bring other people uh, up and along with you. So, so that's what I've been doing the past few years, and I, I definitely love the ed tech space. I love the uh, the feeling you get at the end of the day. The the worst thing that happened is that maybe a, a teacher had a little better time teaching, and a student might have learned more. So, uh, it's been something that I, I can't get away from, and don't really want to. Yeah, you've worked for. I mean, I'm looking at your your background. You've worked for like every major player in in the big like enterprise ed tech is is like your resume. So you know, I don't know. Tell some stories there, like how that's evolved. 18 years is a long time. Uh, I did a little work in the space myself. I know you know some of the super funded VC ed tech stories are not the full story of of education technology. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I think uh, everybody who who experienced sort of the dawn of ed tech, like when I was in college, it was like, wow, you can get your book, but on CD, you know, and uh, and so that's where it sort of started. I think it kind of stalled there for a long time, you know, and there was a lot of uh, talking about uh, how we're going to, you know, disrupt the industry and we're going to replace teachers with robots. And I think, you know, that was uh, that was this really exciting thing. But I think what it comes down to in the end is... Um, uh, education is a pretty well-established thing, and I think there are a lot of people that are really good at it. And so, what I look at when I think of what good ed tech is, is how do we scale teachers? How do we how do we make it so that teachers can do what's really important, which is work side by side with students, right? To to understand who they need to work with and what they need to work on, and and for students, right? Give them the tools to get the the boring stuff out of the way and let them really, you know, focus on learning and doing. 
Um, my, my kids are Montessori students. And I think that one of the great things about that is, you know, there's so much uh, sort of self-paced work and we can really, you know, uh, personalize what, what the curriculum is to the student for where they are that day in that given subject. And I think that um, EdTech, when done right, you know, can sort of make that happen, not just in Montessori, but in any classroom, right? And I think that's where uh, a lot of my focus has been at Pearson. You know, we, we, we were always chasing this sort of um, student profile, like what is a student and what does it mean to be a successful student? And then in this class, what do successful students do and how can we nudge people um, to, to really achieve and, and get the right content in front of them? And I think that's the same thing we're trying to do at McGraw-Hill. And I think, uh, you know, that's the real promise. It's not to like replace teachers or, or replace the system. And, and so when you hear something like Summit and like we're gonna make these robo schools, you know, I. I I think it's great that people are interested and I think it's great that money is flowing into this as a rather than like how to build the next best tender. But, um, you know, I think we should also be realistic about like, what's the, what's the best impact that we can have with that money. So. I'm interested to know, you know, it, this is the kind of space where you would really hope to create, you know, intelligent technologies that are, you know, data driven. And I mean, obviously like, you could look at it and say, wow, this is a trove of, of data for ML and, and deep learning and AI and all these things. And yet I know from my own experience that actually the data input in education and the collection of any kind of useful anything was really the hard part where in other industries, you know, you talk to healthcare, you talk to, you know, e-commerce or, or what have you, it's easy to accumulate terabytes of data for, to learn from in education it's not i just wonder like how do you guys handle that at the top level yeah i mean so i think especially when you're looking at uh k through 12 um you know you have myriad privacy concerns which are valid um i mean if you look at i don't know if you're familiar with what happened in bloom but they had a hundred million dollars and they were going to record all these test scores and all this user activity and information and they were going to share it and it was the really uh you know sort of admirable you know laudable mission right uh and i think that the minute people started realizing like wow this is so cool how did you do this and they were like oh it's because we have all your data and they were like ah um and all of a sudden they were gone i mean you know in a year like 100 million dollars poof gone and i think uh you know we we struggle with that all the time and uh, you know so you have to uh, certainly in higher ed it's easier because you can ask an 18 year old with an email address is it okay if i collect all this and here's what i'm going to give you right and i think it's important to be upfront with what you're doing um but in k-12 you just have to say we understand that we're going to have to anonymize everything right we're going to have to really um make sure that there's nothing you know super super concerned about pii and we're constantly you know vetting vetting our solutions to make sure that we're not doing anything that could go back to a person um and then you do your best. And I think uh, that there's still a lot to learn. Uh, if you look at data, you know, in a broad sense, there's so much we can do. I think one of the great things about being at a bigger uh, company like McGraw-Hill is that we touch so many aspects of the student and teaching lives just by virtue of sort of the surface space of our solutions that we can really get a great picture where if you're at one of these startups, right, you're touching this one little sliver. And so it's great that you have this awesome ML capability, but like you don't have any testing, like training data. Where's your training data? And so that's a really a, t a tough thing. Uh, and, and, you know, you probably know from your experience selling into EdTech is, 
there's a high barrier, right? And so getting to be in the circle of trust with the other EdTech vendors is a, is a high bar. So uh, that's one of the reasons that I think it's, it's nice to be at a place like McGraw-Hill where you, you've crossed those sort of uh, hurdles and now it's really about, um, you know, actually solving the, the, the technical problems versus the, the business problems, I think. Hey, y'all. Sorry for interrupting. It's Faith over at Gun.io. We love putting this podcast together for you all. Actually, a lot of the guests and the topics are inspired by the engineers who are in our community. So if you don't know what we do, we actually provide the easiest and the quickest way to meet and hire senior U.S.-based engineering talent. So if you've ever thought about maybe hiring or freelancing with us, just give us a shout over at gun.io slash podcast. All right, I'll let Ledge take over again. Enjoy the rest of the show. So how does, you know, walk us through maybe the, the engineering organization, obviously, of a company like that is huge, right? So you, you sit on top of, you know, tons of different initiatives. Um, how do you think about those? You know, where does the bleeding edge meet, you know, just having to maintain a bunch of legacy code? And, you know, how do you, how do you think about all that? Yeah, so I think, you know, the key is understanding what you want to be good at, um, especially, uh, you know, you have companies like Netflix and everyone's like, oh, I want to be like Netflix and I want to make, you know, chaos monkeys and I want to be cutting edge. And then you have to understand, like, is that really what people need from us? Because I think what they really need from us is uh, the thing that solves the teacher's problem today. And we frankly, you know, a lot of our users are not highly demanding. I think what what we really try to focus on is sort of the empathy of not like, is this the whiz bangest thing, but is this the least number of clicks, right? Uh, when I worked at School Runner, it was a, it was a startup and, and we'd go sit in classrooms um, in New Orleans and you'd watch the teachers use the system and you'd say, I'm wasting 22 minutes of their day, right? And that's a lot of their day when you think about what we're asking them to do. Some, and especially when you think of like some of the Teach for America folks that are down there and they're working 80, 90 hours a week. And so, how can I? you know, as a designer of software solutions, come up with the most empathy-based solution and not the most like, oh, does it have to go lang, right? Um, like it could be 16 years old as long as the face of it, what they touch really works well, right? And so I think we have to to, to keep that in mind when we make trade-offs instead of, you know, uh, is it the greatest thing that I'm so proud to speak on a, at a conference, you know, so... And yet, I'm sure you're doing a whole bunch of stuff on the cutting edge as well. So, you know, what are, yeah, what are, you know, what's the exciting thing? What's next? Yeah, so I think, uh, like I mentioned before, I think we're, you know, we're really trying to, to harness harness that data um, and, and build those pipelines such that we can merge all those different streams of data into something meaningful, right? I think we're, we're pretty close to doing some exciting things there. And we're working with uh, technologies like Spark, right? So we're, you know, we are on the cutting edge with a lot of that. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're, doing all the cloud things that you would expect. And, you know, we are trying to use uh, the, the right the right things where possible. I think we're pretty aggressive about trying to rebuild our user interfaces to feel really, you know, desktop-y. And I think uh, especially when we deliver content to the point of, oh, look, my book on CD, we really want it to feel immersive and we want to, you know, have, have, it, have it feel like you're in the content and, you know, and I think that requires a fair bit of, of sort of strong UX work and, and UI engineering. So that's really where we focus a lot of our effort today. How do you think about hiring for an organization, you know, this big, right? You have to have certain heuristics and I, we're obviously in the business of, you know, trying to figure out like who are the very best engineers, right? In the world. And, and we're trying to find them and, and hire them and make sure that they check all the boxes 
how do you guys do that? You know, what are your heuristics at the big scale? Yeah, I think, you know, there's some, <clears throat> there's something to be said for, uh, you know, hiring someone who wants to work at a startup isn't always going to work at a place where you've got this many moving parts, right? Um, I think we're lucky because, you know, we really are a mission driven company. And I think that there are a lot of people, everybody's been through education. Everyone's had an education. A lot of people have been to college too, and they all know what they loved and what they didn't love so much about it. And so people have this, uh, you know, they have this investment already in what we do. And I think that, you know, if you, and most people want to feel good about what they do. And so I think that we have sort of a leg up in recruiting. Um, I think one of the interesting things is, is with a lot of the, the, um, the sort of coding boot camps. if you look at the people coming out of those boot camps, a lot of them are ex teachers or people that were in education. And so it's a really interesting sort of uh, overlap there because you have these people that have lived it and now they have the skills to change it. Right. And I think they're really excited about that. And I think that that's a pretty interesting place that, that uh, we can look to hire. But I think really it's just that, you know, we want people who, who can think about, you know, not just what's cool for them and their resume, but what's great for, for kids and teachers and, and uh, that sort of um, being able to take that to heart while also providing really high quality, you know, solutions. I think we, we need things to work, you know, uh, it, it's not something where we can sort of AB test the thing and, and try it out because this is fairly high stakes for these kids and teachers. Right. And so, um, you know, that sort of quality mindset is really important. So I can see the listeners can't see, but I can that, that you're home right now. And I imagine that, that, uh, you guys have some kind of opinions about remote work and, uh, you know, often that's it's sort of uh, controversial, right? You know, some people like to have an office and some people are okay with vast remote workforces. Uh, how do you think about that in your engineering org? Yeah, so I think it's interesting here at McGraw-Hill, we have so many offices all over the country that uh, on any given project, we're all kind of remote, right? And so um, whether I'm in my basement in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, or if I'm at the office in LA or Boston, I'm probably on a call with somebody from Seattle, right? Or something like that. So I think the key, uh, you know, we're, we're friendly to remote work, obviously. Um, but, you know, when you can co-locate teams, I think it's great. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice. And I think, uh, you know, if you do have, I think we try to be sort of mindful and intentional about our team design. So we don't have like the one outlier, right? Those are the sort of anti-patterns of remote work where you have like six people in an office and then that poor staff on the phone that, is like, can you tell me what you're writing on the whiteboard? Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, we try to do that. Uh, but but really, we'd be silly, especially in the job market today, to not hire the best person for the job where they are. And if they need to travel a little bit to, to build that sort of camaraderie into the shared understanding, then let's do that, right? And make sure that they're the most productive person uh, that, that we can find on the market. I think that's the most important. Well, Kirk, great insights. Totally appreciate it. Great to have you on. Yeah, it was great to be on. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, 
head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.